You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. If you want to have guarantees, you have to buy a washing machine. Either we win or we learn, and today we learn. Abdacha, Austin, Shotakizabir. It's in field to Mane, 25 yards out. Lovely ball for Pella. Onside, 1 0. Bufas shot. Oh my word. He ran around a bit, but Bambi on ice. It was very, very embarrassing to watch. And now, your host, Matt Markstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast and newsletter dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans and available right here on SouthamptonDelivery.com. My name is Matt Markstone. I am the host of the show. And no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, thanks for making the show part of your day. I hope that you enjoy it. And this week, uh, to finish up the international break, I had the opportunity to speak with the Athletic UK's Carl Anker, who... Um, is the newest member of the media dedicated to covering Saints. And um, as many fans will know, for a long time, we have had a very small number of people covering Saints uh, that are dedicated to covering Saints. Sure, the Telegraph gets involved every once in a while and things like that. But for the most part, it's the Southern Daily Echo and the BBC Radio Solent and then a number of other fan-driven uh, Channels from the Ugly Inside to uh, you know uh, a number of podcasts and other writing outlets and and that's been what covers Saints for the majority and so Carl is the newest member of the media team he's he's a professional uh, he goes in he's in the press conferences and doing all of these other things and so for him to uh, be there uh, I wanted to talk to him about that about developing stories about what the athletic is doing differently than some of the other outlets out there. And uh, I got to talk to Carl about all of that because there was no match to talk about in particular due to the international break. So the timing, I think, could not have been better. And as a result of that, uh, I got to talk to Carl about a wide range of topics, so everything from, from growing up and playing sport to uh, you know writing and working and you know how he goes about stories and what it was like to come into Southampton and, and be kind of the new man on the scene and, and things like that. So um, you get to talk to Carl about all of that, including um, you know his his role on the Totally Football Show, where you may have heard him before. He's also appeared on the Saints FC podcast and on the Parts Unknown podcast, which is wrestling. Um, so we cover it all from wrestling and video games to writing and Saints. And uh, I hope that you enjoy it. I hope it passes the time. Uh, and I hope that you get to know Carl a little bit. And uh, if you want to follow him on Twitter, which I highly recommend, he's at Anchorman616. That's A-N-K-A-M-A-N 616. And now, let's get to the conversation. Hope you enjoy it. And once again, thanks for listening. I'd like to welcome to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, Carl Anka. You can find him on Twitter at Anchorman616. Uh, Carl is the Saints correspondent for The Athletic. Uh, he's been around on some of the other podcasts, and you probably heard him on the Totally Football Show. Um, but Carl, thanks for taking some time during the international break to, to jump on here and, and chat with me a little bit, and uh, welcome to the show. Hello. Welcome. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this. It's good to get on another podcast. Yeah, I mean, you've been you've been busy. You've been on the the Totally Football Show with uh, James Richardson and, uh, a couple of times uh, recently, and uh, most recently talking about how Joey Barton really, I think, ruined Man United by uh, 
getting sent off. Is that correct? Yes, yes. We, we play a fun game on the Tokyo Football Show called Flip Reverse, um, where we sort of pick a moment in football and do the sliding doors of what happened if such a thing didn't happen. So this Thursday we did if Joey Barton hadn't got sent off in the Aguero game. And I think two or three months ago, I did what if Didier Jogba didn't score in a 2012 Champions League final and Bayern Munich won, which is my favorite sort of butterfly effect of uh, modern football. I think if Chelsea don't win that Champions League, um, there are at least four, there are at least four teams in Europe with different managers, and Eden Hazard ended up go, would probably ended up at Spurs rather than Chelsea. So um, those are the sorts of things I like to do in my spare time. Yeah, yeah, no, nothing, nothing different or, or uh, you know weird there. No, no big deal. No, absolutely um, not. <laughs> I mean. I just have I have a question about that. I mean, how did you get wrapped up in, in doing uh, the you know totally football show? I think James Richardson is probably somebody that a lot of the the, the fans or the people that listen here will remember and know. And and uh, me personally, um, producer Ben, I've read his book, listened to his podcast. That he's he's the guy I kind of went to when I before I started doing this show. So there's a there's a lot of connection there. And I was you know I cried tears when they left uh, and started their <laughs> own company. But now I'm I'm, I'm happy that they. You know, get to hear more of them doing more things. So, I mean, how did you wind up, uh, you know, working with those guys? Um, it was through producer Ben. So, um, you may hear producer Ben Green. He's the man behind the mics for the Totally Football Show. He's a big uh, wrestling fan. He, he really likes his WWE wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think anyone, if you, if you spend a little, little bit of time looking at my tweets, you can see I'm either referencing wrestling or, or, or talking about it a little bit. Uh, so, he contacted me at the start of 2018 asking me if I'd be interested in doing a wrestling podcast, to which we did. It's called Parts Unknown. It's myself, uh, Dr. Carrie Dunn, Matt Davis-Adams, who is the commentator for Chelsea TV, and Anton Talui, who is a Sky Sports news presenter. And we watched every single WrestleMania in reverse chronological order. So episode one was WrestleMania 34, and I finished with us reviewing WrestleMania 1. So we finished that, and then partway through those recordings, uh, Producer Ben went, you're a Manchester United fan, aren't you? Yes, I am. He goes, would you be interested in doing an episode of Totally as a test? Uh, and we started from there. So I did a couple over the World Cup and uh, I started doing a few last season. And now if I'm in London or whatnot, uh, I'll just send a message and we'll see if you can hear some of my dulcet tones talking about football with James Richardson. James Richardson, obviously, to, to football fans of a certain generation, will always be the man who got them in love with Serie A due to his work with Football Italia. Uh, and he's a, he's a remarkable broadcaster. I'm very glad I get to share some space with him once in a while. I mean, ha- have you ever, have you picked anything up from him in terms of like when you listen to him just talk about things or, or, or some things up? And I know that, that as somebody who got into this, not, not doing podcasts before, before the show, like really, I took a lot of time listening to people do interviews and stuff like that. But just to listen to the way that he kind of, brings things in and transitions from one to the other. Uh, it's, I don't know, he's so good at, at, at his job. And, uh, and I, I mean, people try to mimic him. I, I think I do a little bit too. And it's just, it's, uh, it, maybe we shouldn't because you should just let him be his thing. But I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, he, I think he's amazing. So um, I don't know, anything, have you learned anything just being around those guys or, or in terms of, you know, have you did one, the, the wrestling podcast, but you know, coming into it, do you, do you try to pick up stuff from those guys since they've been doing it for so long or are you just kind of oh, yeah. be yourself? I always try and pick up, uh, the power of anecdotes, the ability to admit when you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, if you have no idea what you're talking about, can you make that sound funny? Um, so, you know, I think one, one problem we've got a lot in sports media and I think in, in general media is 
it's quite hard to admit you don't know the answer. And I think the ability to say that as a broadcaster, to be like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about, or well, I have no idea about this gentleman or whatnot. If you can make that, if you can say that without sounding like a complete tool, <laughs> or if you find a way to turn that into asking a more knowledgeable person about that, um, those are two very big things. Because famously, James Richardson wasn't meant to be the presenter of Football Italia all those years ago. It was meant to be Paul Gascoigne. And they put the camera on Gaza, and Gaza was he's, Gaza's quite nervous when he's in front of the camera, as you might see from some of his interviews. Uh, and James Richardson was a producer at the time, living in Italy um, with his then partner, and sort of from behind the camera trying to coach Gaza into presenting. So I went, why don't you stand in front of the camera? Um, so his, his football knowledge was not the greatest back in the 90s. He's obviously got a lot better now because he surrounded himself with very, very talented people. He, asked, he knows how to ask the right questions. Um, he also knows when a question is not too obvious. So I spend a lot of my time on spreadsheets and looking at XG and whatnot. So I think everyone knows the difference between a 4-4-2 and a 4-3-3, which might not necessarily be the case. So every now and again, it's worth it for someone to go, Carl, please explain that. Yeah. So those, those are little things I try and do a lot more. Asking the right questions, surrounding myself with people who are more talented than myself, and uh, being okay with admitting I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, um, on that note, um, <laughs> surrounding myself with people who are more talented than me, that's, that's kind of why you're here. Um, uh, that's, why, that's why a lot of the guests come on, because I am, uh, I mean, some of the people that listen to the show will know that this is, I've only been watching the team for uh, kind of since they came back to the Premier League. So I haven't been around, I've been around a little while, but not that long in my my football knowledge is also kind of wrapped up in, in that time. I was a, a big baseball fan before and still am. Uh, but my son uh, basically said to me when he was younger, like, I don't want to play baseball anymore. I want to play, I want to play soccer is what we call it here. And uh, from, from then on, it's been, all right, let's learn everything we can about it. And I'm pretty obsessive about stuff. And a Good. couple of years later, here we are. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, and I mean, so his, his experience, my son's experience growing up was uh, me basically doing the exact same thing to him that my dad did to me in terms of coaching, which was work and push them really, really hard from a very young age uh, to the point where uh, he quit. Uh, I didn't quit. Um, <laughs> so I have, uh, you know, I mean, he hasn't had the, the healthiest relationship with, with certain sports and I've backed off a lot. Uh, turns out his, his mother is much, much better at coaching him and uh, doing stuff now. So he's enjoying volleyball and other things. So we'll let that go. But um, I mean, for you growing up, uh, did did sport play a role in your house? I think you grew up. You grew up in London. Is that, is that I grew correct? up in London. Yes, I grew up. I was born in Leytonstone, uh, David Beckham's hometown, uh, and then I moved out to Ilford, which is borderline East London and Essex, so sort of where the original Cockneys moved to after the Second World War. Um, and I played football every recess or playtime uh, up until about the age of fourteen. So I was a pretty good member of the school football team up until secondary school and then better players came along and I discovered Game Boys and Yu-Gi-Oh cards and whatnot and I stopped playing sport for a long time. I played a lot of tennis growing up as a kid. I played double. My mom basically and quite a few school teachers said I was very competitive and I needed to find a way to get along with others. So my mom made me play doubles tennis to, to, to learn humility because you can't scream at your doubles partner because then they get worse. So I had to find a way to be encouraging to someone I didn't particularly like for the greater good. Um, <laughs> just, just if you want a, if you want a little glimpse as to how competitive I've always been. 
So I played a lot of tennis growing up as well. And when I turned 18, I went to university. I started playing rugby. So I played rugby from 18 up until this summer. Uh, so I played at least twice twice a week. Well, I trained twice a week, played one game through university and for a, uh, an amateur team in London when I came back from university. And now, I'm, now I've moved from London and I'm living in Southampton. I now play five-a-side soccer uh, every single week. I play two or three games. So yeah, I've, I've always been a fairly active person uh, the way they someone once asked me am i a nerdy jock or am i a jockey nerd and i think i think i'm a jockey nerd because i was definitely a nerd before i was a jock okay all right well i think that's i think that's a fair fair kind of a, a assessment and um I, I think you mentioned somebody somebody reached out to you and got you to play five aside they invited you along is that is that correct yes yes but basically i mean well, obviously i moved to southampton and i don't really know anyone in the city at the moment um, so when I first moved, I, I sort of every now and again tweeting that someone want to be my friend, and I said, you know, I've I've got brand new uh, astroturfs, and uh, I'd like to play five a side with someone. And a gentleman called Connor DM me and said, I've got a team that we've just started. If you want to play, so the team is called Lee Catmull FC. Um, we play in with our shirts tucked in because in honor of Lee Catamol. There you go. Uh, and uh, we lost our first three games, but we've won two in a row now. So we're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, Connor's a really nice guy. He's been on the show a bunch of times. Uh, he's written for uh, the newsletter and things like that. He's, he's great. And he works himself to, to death trying to do uh, all kinds of stuff. So I'm glad. I'm glad you got hooked up with the right guy, I think. So uh, <laughs> glad you're enjoying it. But um, uh, you mentioned uh, kind of, kind of going into to university and, and you didn't study journalism. No, I, I studied creative writing. Creative writing, uh, okay. I, I wanted to be a screenwriter. I wanted to make movies. Okay. And uh, I got, I won a competition in the first year for a script I wrote that was meant to be a bit like super bad, you know, sex, comedy, teen nonsense. And I finished that and then my lecturer said, hey, that was really fun. Well, your main character is meant to be you know, awful people. I said, no. Uh, and then she, she very politely recommended I took some other modules and it, in, you know, broadened my horizons. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, I've, when I, by the time I finished, I, I've graduated in cultural studies with a minor in creative writing. So writing was always there. I always wanted to tell stories of some sort of kind. And then after graduation, I did some internships for FHM, a place called Sabotage Times, science, sci-fi magazine, total film, uh, I worked for a children's charity for a year and a bit. I worked at BuzzFeed for nine months. Uh, I worked at the independent newspaper for a little bit. Uh, I've been I've been around uh, yeah. mostly in a freelance capacity. So prior to this job at the Athletic, I was uh, one of the senior editors at the Players Tribune. If you've heard of that yeah, yeah. organization as well, so yeah, I've been I've been around. The way it used to go was uh, from January until March, I'd be covering film as a freelance journalist. And then March, there's tends to be a, like a little release of video games. Mm. So I do March, April covering some video games. Then you go into summer where all the summer blockbusters. So then I'd, I'd read a lot of comic books. So I'd be in, this is what Captain America five looks like that sort of freelance work. Uh -huh. Then you'd have, uh, you'd go into the, you know, September, October, um, October in the United Kingdom is black history month. So I'd be writing a little bit about that. Uh, and then you go into November. November is when typically Call of Duty is released or when FIFA is released. Mm -hmm. So I'll be writing a lot about video games at that point in time. Then you get to December. Then I'll be writing about movies again. So that was sort of how I wrote and worked 
year on year on for about two or three years. And then uh, obviously in, in 2018, I was doing that. Uh, and then the World Cup happened. And then I started writing about the World Cup and everyone went, oh, you're a football journalist. Go be a football journalist. I went, wait, no, uh, uh, fine. I'll be a football journalist. Yeah. So here I am. <laughs> yeah. Journalism, it, if you look back a couple of years, didn't look all that great as a, as a career opportunity. It seemed like newspapers and things like that were, were collapsing and, and folding and all this other kind of stuff. And uh, you look at, at just the landscape, especially in America. I'm not, I'm not, I can't speak for the UK necessarily through all this time, but um, you know, I think we were actively pushing kids away from, from stuff like that because we were, as I'm a high school teacher and as a high school teacher, we want the kids to be, you know, successful. And in a lot of our kids uh, where I live, um, their parents work, you know, two jobs or they work super long hours. A lot of our, our, our students' parents are, are field workers. And so, you know, they're trying to go to college or do something and we're trying to push them towards a career that, you know, basically goes nine to five. And I feel so guilty about that now because I think we've, we've turned entire generations of kids or entire, you know, uh, classes worth of, of students into um, people who will go out and work for money and not for, for any kind of joy. And it sounds like you were able to, you know, mesh a couple of your interests and things that you love and in terms of writing and then also in terms of, of video games and pop culture and comic books and all this stuff and, and turn it into kind of a career. And um, I guess I just have a question about, you know, when you were doing that, was it, was there an active kind of uh, thing in your head that you were going like, I want to write about this because I enjoy it. Or was it, I can get by with writing about stuff I enjoy and then also make enough money to survive or, or like what, was there a thought process there or was it just kind of, you fell into it or, or how did that come about? And that's for one say I, I, I was in no way uh, doing well financially during the early parts of that career. Uh, there was a lot of writing for not much money and a lot of uh, an inability to go to the movies or go out on the holiday and whatnot at the start, especially. I think I'm doing a little bit better now. I'm not I'm okay for the first time in a while. I'm like, all right, I can afford to do silly things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think for one, one thing I always recommend, I do get, and I've said this to anyone who can find me, but my, my DMs on Twitter are open. And if you anyone has any want for advice on on how to to get through while while you know the route i took was very unorthodox and i very much doubt such a route exists anymore because the internet in 2012 and 2013 is very different from the internet in 2019 the thing i always said was um be be really really curious read as much as you can and then basically figure out what stories do you think you could offer interesting insight into or what stories do you think need to be told? So my first big entry into a lot of things was the fact that I, I've been reading Marvel comic books since I was about seven years of age. And the dominant form blockbuster right now are, is the MCU. So every so often a trailer will break or someone will be cast or, or there'll be mention of something going on in, in the MCU. And, and if you pay enough attention, there's a boss going, Someone please explain to me who Moon Knight is, or someone please explain to me who what the Infinity Stones are. Uh, and at the time, I was one of the only people in the room that could like, the Infinity Stones do this. This is how they work. Or the fact that Tony Stark is wearing this sort of armor means that this this will probably happen in Iron Man 2. So that was my first start, just basically being the one to fill in the niche knowledge of a subject. Uh, and my thing was always, um, and a, a technique I learned, was you take a piece of paper, you write down 10 facts about yourself. So where you were born, what your job was, when you were at university, what your favorite piece of topping is, things like that. And then on each fact about yourself, try and think of three headlines that you can turn into articles. So I read those in Marvel comic book. 
what three topics can you get from Marvel topics or I'm a Manchester United fan? What three things about Manchester United do do I think I can write up? And that was my sort of constant go-to of if you can get that sort of idea system going through your head. Like my favorite film is The Princess Bride. What can I say about The Princess Bride that is, do you think other people will be interested in hearing about? And I think that's a really good way of getting under the nose of editors and being very much, hello, I have an idea. The idea is this. This idea I think is interesting to tell right now because of this. And then finally you go, I think I'm the perfect person to answer this question or to, to tell this story because of the following credentials. And if you do that regularly enough, then you tend to get your foot in the door this way or that way. And then it, from there, it's a case of getting lucky enough, having enough consistency. Hopefully the person, the first type person you've impressed will tell another person you've impressed, you know, that you're impressive. And then you can slowly work your way up. Um, it's hard work. I drink about four or five cups of coffee a day. Uh, and I spend a remarkable amount of time looking at spreadsheets, which is a thing I never thought I'd end up doing. It's one of those things. I can't believe I did a liberal arts degree only to end up relying on spreadsheets all my life. But here you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, you, there you are. Yeah. It's, it's truly one of the things that every, every person in, from, in, from like high school up should be taught that being good at Excel and spreadsheets is the best uh, cross-discipline you could ever hope to master in the workplace. I, I spent a lot of time on spreadsheets at, at school looking at student scores and, and trying to norm things for the whole department. And uh, most people in my department are not good at it. And so I get a lot of uh, bags of coffee, different types of artisan <laughs> coffee given to me for running all those. And so uh, I am very much, I'm into that. So I'm like, you guys can pay me in coffee. I have no problem doing this because it takes four and a half seconds to do what you guys need. Um, so I will, I will. I will gladly take the, the coffee that you guys will pay me in. Uh, and I was going to ask you, you know, you prefer coffee or tea, but it sounds like you go, uh, you go coffee. How do you take your coffee? Uh, I take my coffee black, black in the morning. So the very first coffee I have is black. And then when I go out to the coffee shop, I try and get a nice little vanilla latte. So that's, that's my treat to myself. But yeah, very, I know things are going bad on a working day when I have four cups of coffee before 12 o'clock. Yeah. That's my, that's my big like, oh, I've got a deadline. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you find you find any good coffee shops in Southampton? Any local places you like? There's one. There's one place called Coffee Lab, and I very much like the vibe of it. It's it's very. We'll charge you a large amount of money for a very small cup of coffee, which is you know being a pretentious metropolitan liberal elite yeah. member of London. That's exactly the coffee I want. So just just like being in London, man. Sounds sounds yeah. sounds about right. Um, but yeah, well, I'm. I mean, it sounds like you're really enjoying yourself, and I and I. I've only been to Southampton once. I was there for the England women's national game um, against Wales way back uh, before a couple of years ago for uh, qualifying. But um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're you're enjoying yourself and you kind of uh, embedded yourself in, in in yeah. It sounds like it's all going going well. But um, so you made the jump to the Athletic, and initially you weren't covering Southampton; you were covering Manchester United. Is that correct? Yes, yes, I was. So I was uh, freelancing when I was at the Players Tribune. I was freelancing for the Athletic when they were doing their athletic soccer project. So that vertical had the top six teams in England, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and I want to say a little bit about Bayern Munich. Um, and that was very much their, their test for, for what we now have, and what we now call the Athletic UK. Mm. So I got, a, I got an email from, from a gentleman at, in the American company who said, would you be interested about writing about Manchester United this season? To which I said, I, I live in London. Is, is that a problem? <laughs> Uh, and uh, in the true sort of sign of what the athletic try and do, they went, no, we, we go, that, that should be fine. We find you to be 
a very funny uh, writer on Twitter and on other places. And we're hoping to see if you can bring that sort of writing style over to the FAQ. I thought I did a decent job. Obviously, it's gone a lot better than I thought it did because now I'm working full time there. So uh, we've had a lot of fun. We, uh, they obviously the athletics thing is we they don't want to do match reports and they want to make sure everything written is informed and is entertaining and there's some sort of valuable insight or, or something interesting there to be gained. So th- those are things I always try and carry through every, everything single article. I do now. I am uh, covering Southampton, which is a, it's a fun, unique challenge. It's, it's one of the very few places where I've never been told my ideas are bad. I've simply been told I have to prove it, okay. which uh, is always a good thing. Every, I, every now and again, I've gone, um, I think Southampton or Manchester United do this. And the boss goes, can you prove it? To which I often get, you know, compared to other companies where you might have an hour to prove it. I often have one or two, three days to yeah. prove it, which makes it a lot easier to, to prove. <laughs> yeah, which which puts you onto page, uh, you know, six or seven of the spreadsheet. So, uh, yeah, yes, you plenty yes. of time. Um, I mean, in terms of of going from a, a freelance role where you're maybe working on, I mean, I'm sure you're working on a bunch of stuff now, but in terms of remember a freelance role, you may be working for for different uh, writing for different companies at the same time, uh, dedicating your time to the athletic and kind of embedding yourself in Southampton. Um, I guess. Has that made a has that made your life easier in terms of writing, or, or do you put more pressure on yourself? And are you kind of like one of those people who's super like self driven and self motivated, and and you you put that pressure on yourself, or do you uh, you know outside deadlines and your editor kind of breathing down your neck saying, "Hey, I haven't seen a draft of this yet." Is that what kind of pushes you along? <laughs> That's a really interesting question. So I I still freelance in a non sporting capacity. So um, I've been enemy with a music review recently, and I did a little bit for the BBC in regards to film. Um, so I, do, I still do work otherwise. I don't think of myself as a really driven, like hyper motivated person. But then obviously when I describe myself as on page four of a spreadsheet and drinking four cups of coffee, uh, and still freelancing, despite the fact that I've got a full-time job, I clearly must be doing something. Um, so I might, I might just be absolutely clueless as to how an average person works. Uh, it's an interesting thing. I am meant to be writing my novel. I have an idea for a novel and I've been trying to write that since about 2017. I'm about halfway through that now, but I probably, you know, I should be further along there. I'll get around to that eventually. Yeah. I'm busy. I'm busy, but in a, in a, in a, in a it's a fun busy. Yeah. The way, the way that describes it is busy is good. Busy means you're needed. Um, and I, I like to keep busy wherever possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm there. I, I have this, uh, I have this thing where I can't sit still. It doesn't, doesn't go well. <laughs> Um, in terms of my family goes like, Hey, you're off for the summer. What are we going to do? It's like, well, I have all, I have this long list of things that I would like to get done. And then my wife just like shakes her head and says, well, you know, I'll see you in September when school starts, I guess. Um, <laughs> that's okay. And you know, as I'm getting out of bed this morning at, at, uh, quite early, I won't say what time, but I was getting out of bed. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm going to record a podcast. She's like, I don't, I don't understand you. Um, but she did, she did point out to me on Twitter the other day. She's like, when you go, like when you finally kind of that's why I'll be able to listen to your voice forever on the podcast. And I was like, can you not say stuff like that? Like I'm 34. Can we not, can we not go there yet? But anyway, um, and that's actually something I was going to ask you. Um, you know, you mentioned on the totally football show yesterday that, I mean, obviously there's been a, a fairly big controversy broke this week in terms of, of football wives and, and leak stories. And, and, you know, I won't say journalism for the company that was, uh, writing the stories, but, um, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, when things, things, things like that happen, it's, you got to get out there and get in front of it and just kind of, you know, soak it all in on Twitter. So 
um, I've been accused on here before, right, by a couple of people of of making jokes that don't work. Um, would you rather make a joke that doesn't work, or uh, and take a chance, or just not make the joke for fear of like coming off, uh, you know, sounding a bit uh, dumb for for lack of a better word? Oh no, I make the joke. Regardless, <laughs> okay. of course. Uh, I was so I've I've bought a really big coat recently. Um, here's an example of making a joke regardless and, and it coming back to that. I bought, I bought a really big coat recently because it, you know, it's getting colder. I'm going to spend a lot of time in football stadiums this season, so I need a big coat. So uh, I was talking to someone uh, and they were asking me about how I've moved to Southampton and they said, oh, are you, are you dating right now? I went, oh, no, I'm, I'm not dating at the moment. Um, blah, 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 blah. And I said, do you, do you use any of the dating apps? And I said, oh, no, I don't, I don't like using any of the apps right now. I don't really use that as a, a way to talk to people to which they said oh but how do you go out and talk to people and i said oh that's why i bought this coat and i just watched their face turn from like mild interest to just who is this idiot talking to me <laughs> is the coat you're talking about now is this the black coat with the uh the yeah. big the big so that, collar that's the one with the big collar so, so I, I you know i made the joke and watched this person just sort of go oh what an idiot and i said oh, no. i turned around and told my friend the joke was worth it yeah Absolutely. My big problem is if I have a chance to be nice to loads of people or to be funny just to myself, I tend to be funny just to myself, which is how I end up in a lot of trouble. But you got to make yourself laugh. If you don't, well, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the students who sit in the front row hear a lot more than the students who sit in the back row of my class because I say a lot of stuff under my breath. And you to watch, <laughs> just watch the kids in the front row just go like, like you just see them like kind of look at each other and they look at me. And I'll just, I'll just deny it. And that's, that's my favorite part. Um, although a couple of the kids did find me uh, on Instagram and started uh, messaging me. And I'm like, look, I'm not, I'm not messaging you guys back on Instagram. That's, that's, uh, it's, not, it's a good way for me to get in trouble. Um, but one of them did send me a message that said, you know, you have, you know, a thousand followers and only 12 likes. She goes, you're doing it wrong. I'm like, ah, well, fair enough. Fair enough. Girl who does makeup tutorials from my classroom. Um, that's all right. Um, <laughs> I have a couple more questions about, about just, you know, writing for Southampton and, and, uh, and of course we'll talk about the team too, but I've been, I, I think this is a, is a good opportunity to be able to, to talk about some of the stuff. Cause I don't think people know a lot of the stuff, uh, just kind of about you and about writing and, and, you know, it's international break. And, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, Rooney's wife and Vardy's wife do not play for us. So we don't have that to talk about. Um, yeah. but I mean, when you moved to Southampton and you chose to take that job, I mean, Southampton is, is a relatively small community. Not that it doesn't have a fairly big catchment area or the population's not that large, but it's not London. It's not Manchester. It's, it's not uh, one of these kind of huge metropolitan areas. And I wouldn't say that it's the most diverse of areas either. And you coming in and, and, and if you look at uh, some of the press conferences, most weeks, there is one microphone up there on the stand in front of Roth Hassenhutl. Uh, unless a big team is coming to town and then there's five or six or whatever it is. Um, but for you to come in into such a small community and start writing for somebody like the athletic and, and start asking questions like, how were you, uh, what was the welcome? Like, what was the, how, how were you accepted by kind of the people that were already here and, and doing that work when you came in and, and started to, uh, to kind of, you know, try to do your job? Oh, brilliant. It was really nice and edifying. Cause one of the things I was really worried about was, was uh, other journalists not taking it well. Um, so I moved to Southampton three weeks before the athletic launched. Um, and obviously due to, to all manner of 
interesting contract stipulations. I couldn't really reveal who I was or why I was in the city. So I sort of pretended I was something else for a little bit while I was making contacts. Um, but then obviously, so the FX UK launched on August 8th um, and everyone on the beat has been really, really nice to me. So the the, the local newspaper, the Southern Daily Echo has been, their journalists have been really nice to me. Um, the radio commentator uh, from BBC Radio Solent has been really nice and friendly. Um, it's a small pack, but they all look after each other very, very well. Um, and uh, there's been no, uh, no uh, talk of a rivalry or, right. or, or, or of anyone trying to do anyone else over, which is really nice. They're, they're, they're nice to me in a way that they didn't have to be. Um, but it's, it's nice when people are nice, isn't it? Yeah, So absolutely. that's been really nice. Uh, obviously, spending a lot of time in, in press conferences, you are correct that it is a very small pack unless one of the top six members do come to town. And then when the top six members do come to town, it takes on a completely different quality. Can, can you can you feel the change when it happens? Can you kind of see them? Can you tell the top six reporters from the uh, the guys who are in the grind on uh, kind of the circuit kind of a, a alone more 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 or less? Oh yeah, I mean it's, it's it's the simple difference of having four people in the press conference room to having twelve, <laughs> or having and that sort of very basic thing, or, or the and that's the, that's the you know the, the pre match press conference, and then you've got the you've got the the post match on and differences in size and how uh, how things change, which is just just the way it is, you know. There there are six teams in England who are regarded as Champions League slash title contenders every single year. Um, those are the teams that get televised the most on, on UK television. Um, those are teams that get a disproportional amount of coverage in, in the national newspapers and whatnot. Uh, and those are teams that get the, the, the majority of the talking time on podcasts, on, on highlights packages and whatnot. So something I found really, really interesting since covering Southampton is obviously I'm watching Match of the Day for Southampton now rather than watching it for Manchester United. And my big thing is they only talk about Southampton for about 30 seconds on average most weekends. Southampton tends to be one of the games that is played on last on a Saturday or Sunday. Um, and then also for the Chelsea game, they spoke at length about Chelsea, about Tammy Abraham, about Mason Mount, about the youth movement, about how they're, they're trying to play the expansive style in the Frank Lampard. The presenter went, Southampton have a really bad home record. Should fans be concerned? And that was the question. And then it moved on to another, to another team. And I was very much, wait, wait a minute. No, there's loads, there's loads in that question that you haven't quite answered. Um, uh, so that's, that's been quite interesting after years of being a one percenter, uh, in terms of football, it, it's a bit different to go, Oh, this is how other people receive football news. Um, so hopefully it means there's a gap in, in the, in the, I won't say in the market, but there's definitely a space that the athletic and other companies can fill by going here. Here is the 10 minute discussion about your football team. Yeah. And I, and I think. You know, I, I did not subscribe to The Athletic until you started writing. Um, and part of the reason, I think, is I'm, I'm part of the generation that, you know, we didn't have to pay for stuff. Things have been free for a really long time, for most of my life. And the idea that you would pay for something that you are, are already getting for free uh, was kind of foreign to me. And, and then I kind of, you know, had some, some life changes and realized, like, look, there are certain things that I really, really enjoy. And if I can make sure that those things continue uh, and I can get a little bit extra in return, I will, I will do that. And people have shocked me by, by, by doing that as well with the show. It's, it's uh, some of the patrons are, are amazing and uh, it's, it's a, it's a big, it, it feels good to, to know that people value kind of what you do. So, um, but 
I wanted to just kind of mention, you know, going back real quick to, to what you said about being accepted and people being nice and, and, uh, yeah, things like that. Like I, I feel that too, because this show, I mean, I do the show from California. There were, you know, the ugly inside was there. A couple of other podcasts, uh, the, the saints of sea podcast, the, the total saints podcast, they all kind of started around the same time and everybody, there's no rivalry. It's everybody's been super supportive. We talk, you know, not all the time, but quite frequently. And the guys are great. Um, and it's, there have been other podcasts that have come along since then. And everybody is, you know, try to be supportive, try to encourage people, try to, try to, try to let people do what they, what makes them happy. And, and, and if they ask for help or if they have a question, answer it because I got a lot of, like I said before, um, you know, Ben Green was there to answer my questions for no reason. He had no business responding to me ever. Uh, but, um, he, he did. So it's, uh, you know, it makes a big difference. And if, I figure if we can make, a, if you can make a difference on somebody's life or somebody can make a difference for you, uh, you just try to, try to turn around and pass that on. So, um, so, so yeah, but, um, I, w- I wanted to ask a little bit about, about the athletic in terms of you, I mean, obviously you, they, they've given you the opportunity to do this. Uh, you actually you took the opportunity to do this, uh, you kind of probably, I guess, I mean, had to give up some stuff to, 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 to move to Southampton. It's not, it's not your same coverage of Manchester United, which is a team you, 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 you like, and it's not living in London, but I mean, the, in terms of the, the support that they've given you and the freedom they've given you to write, uh, articles, I mean, how, how does that come about? How do, if you have an idea of what, what kind of uh, process do you go through to make sure, or, or, you know, to, to get it from an idea to, uh, being published on the site? Um, that's a really good question. So uh, the athletic right now, had, we've got a, a staff around about, just over 50 in the United Kingdom. Um, we've got a mothership in, in London uh, and we've got one dedicated journalist for every Premier League club, a few in the championship, uh, one in Celtic, one in Rangers and a little bit of coverage in Europe. Uh, and we've got on top of that some statistical people, some editors and investigative journalism team um, and some other senior editors there. So what tends to happen is it will be a weekday or Monday, Tuesday morning and I will make a phone call to the mothership and say, hello, um, this is something I want to write about this week. This is someone I'm trying to find. Um, and uh, this is something I've noticed from watching Southampton football games that I think is worth noting. And then based on those three things, I'll get a yes, no, maybe on what my idea is. Uh, I'll probably get some steering on if I'm trying to find someone. So I'll probably be told you know, where that person is living or if that person speaks English or not. Uh, or if I need to possibly get a translator or whatnot. And then uh, from the thing I've noticed from Southampton games, I get told whether or not if that's worthy of writing now or if I should wait a little bit or if I should try and prove that by either a former manager or a stat. So that, that's my general that's my general day to day. And I've, I've had maybe, for the most part, I've not been told no. I've just been told, can you prove it? And it's a, can you prove it by either talking to a coach or someone in football who has first-hand knowledge of that? Or can you prove that via stats? So at the moment, you may have noticed from quite a few of my reads that there tends to be a couple of shot maps or um, looks at tactical shape or, or notings of substitute timings. Or there is very often the caption, all stats are taken from transfermarket.com. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, try, I, try, I try and use numbers and science to prove stuff. Obviously, you know, football is a very simple game and numbers and, and stats try and complicate stuff. So I will be not, I'll be trying to not get bogged down in XG too much this season. And I will try and use uh, player interviews and conversations with people involved in Southampton as much as possible as well. 
Um, but yeah, that, that's generally my day to day. Um, so this week, one thing we, we also always do is we don't do um, match reports. What we tend to do is debriefs or findings of big things that happened in games. So if I'm watching a game on Saturday, I will not be watching it with the remit of saying on this minute, this thing happened and this minute, this thing happened. But I'll be looking to note things such as what the fans are charting or I'll be looking to note um, the times that Hustle will make substitutes or the people he constantly brings on in his substitute signings or whether or not James Will Prout is kicking, taking his free kicks with the inset technique or if he's moving to a more Ronaldo technique. So the idea is we try and focus on the minutiae and then try and write that on a grand scale, which we think hopefully gives the athletic it's a selling point that's worthy of a worthy of your subscription. Yeah. Um, I mean, doing that, I mean, has that changed the way that you watch football and for going from, and, and when you sit down and watch a Manchester United match, just, you know, for leisure, is it, do you do that differently <laughs> than, uh, than when you, you were watching saints to try to, try to pick this stuff out or now can you, do you have to watch every match in, in the same manner? It's, it's a really good question. The way I've described it recently is uh, this job has ruined my ability to watch a bad game of football. So I can't, I will watch, so I now watch one game a week in the football stadium and then for, because I like football, I'll probably watch one more game on television. So if it's Champions League week, I'll probably watch the Champions League game or if there is a game on a Sunday because Southampton tend to play at three o'clock on a Saturday. If there's a game on Sunday, I'll probably watch on the Sunday game. And I like watching Manchester City. I like watching Liverpool. I like watching Tottenham. I like watching Arsenal. I like watching Chelsea. But if, if the game, the extra game that week is, say, someone like Watford versus Brighton, I'm not going to watch that because my brain is going to start trying to figure out why this game of football is not being played well. And I don't want to do that my day off. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. No disrespect to Watford and Brighton. We no. play very good patch, football in patches, but at some point I am watching football for fun and it's a lot harder to watch football for fun when it is not of a European quality, shall we say. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes just watching Manchester City or even watching Liverpool, which is tough to say, and I'm sure it's tough to say as a United fan as well, but as a Southampton fan, it's tough to say this, but, you know, sometimes watching them just makes you smile. You you watch the things they do and, and what and and the way the game is played and you just go like, man, that, that just looks like fun, you know. Um, and same thing, International Week. Uh, there are certain... Occasionally, I will want to watch some Eastern European teams, especially if you get down in the former Yugoslavia area. Some of those teams come up against each other. You're like, this is going to be a nasty game. I kind of want to watch this. Um, but aside from that, I don't want to watch, you know, uh, I, I don't want to watch Turkey play all that often. I don't want to watch Ukraine play all that often. I'd rather watch <laughs> the Netherlands play. I'd rather watch, you know, some of these other countries that are, that are good. I mean, even watching the U.S. yesterday play against Cuba. Um, now we're speaking on Saturday, so that was, I mean, Friday, the, the U S just dismantled Cuba, but Cuba was really bad. And by the end of it, it was like, man, this is just kind of sad. Like, I, I'm not sure this is the greatest game of football I've ever seen, but, uh, the U S is scoring goals and hopefully, you know, they qualify, uh, for something, uh, soon. Um, that would just be great. But, um, I have one more question kind of about writing and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Saints. We have some questions from, from listeners and stuff that we'll, we'll get to, but, um, you, you wrote, you know, recently there's been uh, concerning Manchester city. Uh, there was a Bernardo Silva tweet. Uh, that drew some controversy. You uh, wrote an article, um, kind of because they, they, you kind of mentioned that they they trot out John John Barnes whenever there's kind of a race issue, and he kind of comes on and says what he says. And, and you wrote a response, and you know I've read a lot of your stuff on the Athletic. I, I won't I won't pretend that I've, I I catch every single article because sometimes things get in the way. Um, but, but you wrote and and you got 
I, I don't want to say you got a lot of hate, but there, there was, there was a very active article. The comment section was, was alive and, 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 and going on that. And uh, for you, I mean, I guess one of the things that I wanted to ask about is, is support in that realm. When you, when you decide to, to weigh in whenever anybody weighs in on race or anything like that, it seems to be one of those polarizing kind of subjects uh, more so than XG even, which is uh, surprising sometimes when you, when you read around the internet, but like, I mean, when you when you decided to to take that stand, I mean, do you do you feel at all like like you're you're starting to touch on things that make people uncomfortable, and does that matter, or do you you know how do, how do you what was your thought process going through that? I knew that article was me putting my head above the parapet. Um, I was informed by my editors before that article was written that it would get a reaction. Um, Obviously, being a black man on the internet, I'm used to getting a certain reaction when I talk about some subjects. So I talk about them when I feel a need to. Uh, and I try not to talk about it too much because it does, it can ruin your day if you talk about it all day, every day. Not because I don't like talking about it or if we'll, I'd much rather not talk about it, but because if you pay enough attention, it could be quite hard to not constantly have something to write about, especially when, you know, based on certain world leaders and their behaviors at the moment you can uh, you can spend all day talking about racial in- race issues or yeah. or other forms of bigotry so that article i wrote basically explaining why the banana silver incident was a thing why that was slightly different to another bit of football racism in uh, peter beersley who's been suspended from newcastle and why i i find john barnes's current um positioning quite frustrating um i didn't think it was too incendiary i just i wrote it because i thought it needed to be said because i, I felt certain things had gone on a bit too long without being addressed uh, my editors have been really really nice to me before writing that piece they were very very nice to me after writing that piece my boss uh very very succinctly went you've done very very good work take heed from the people that are telling you you're doing good work pay no attention to people that said you don't know what you're talking about take as much time as you need to to recover from this um and don't you dare look at the comment section <laughs> so i didn't uh you may see i i tend to be in the comment section of most articles if someone asks a nice question i am not in the comment section of that piece yeah. because li- life is too short yeah uh, and I, it's one of those things that i hope everyone gets to work with a good boss because once you get one, it's really nice to finally recognize what a good boss is, uh, how a good boss operates. Um, and this is not me brown-nosing, but the FA generally is looking after me right now, which is quite nice. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's quite nice after years of freelancing and being my own boss to have a boss who's a, in, like, in front and in charge of me. Like, no, you're doing good work. Look after yourself. Do this, 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 and this. So yeah, things are going well there. I mean, from John Barnes and, and, and tweets and, and all those things, uh, the internet is uh, sometimes a, a very nasty place and there are uh, a lot of things that we can deal with, but um, let's, let's move on and talk about just the, the team a little bit. And uh, I think most people will uh, have to put it in the show notes that uh, we start talking about the team. Uh, what is it? 45 minutes in. Uh, so <laughs> sorry guys. Uh, but I hope everybody's enjoyed this. I've enjoyed this. And if nobody else, if, if, if hopefully somebody's learned something. So uh, I think that's, I think that's fine. So um, I mean, just, looking at Saints season now it's up until this point we're eight games in and I try not to look at the table until about 10 games in 
Um, but you know, is coming into the, this summer and writing, writing about the team for kind of the, the, the first time, I mean, is this where you would have expected saints to be sitting on seven points, uh, with given the schedule and everything else? Is this about where you would have expected or are we underachieving a little bit? Southampton are probably on par for what they are as a club, but there was a large amount of, uh, optimism and hope that Southampton would be doing better because it, it was sort of, this is Ralph Hassel's first preseason. It's his first time in charge of this squad. They had a very, very good half season under him. Um, so that, that little spell between December when Hassel came in and April where Southampton were mathematically safe, they accrued points at a, to- at, you know, at a clip not dissimilar from a Europa League side. So and everyone, you know, while they dropped off a bit in April, the idea was basically, well, if Hassel can get the team playing like that all season long, Southampton should finish top half of the table, if not high in the, in the bottom half of the table. Whereas what's happened now, after a couple of disappointing performances in the last month or so, it's, oh, okay. So Southampton aren't as bad as they were when they were under Pellegrino or Mark Hughes, but they're not much better touch wood, they're not going to be in a relegation battle, but they aren't going to be much far off it, which... Mm. It's not great. Yeah, yes. Mm, <laughs> to say the my, least. Uh, yeah. Um, but I mean, as you said, the, the optimism was definitely there, and I think that we're all, I mean, for the most part, for large parts of, of, of Hassan Hoodle's tenure, the football has at least been more enjoyable. And I think a lot of the fans, when we were going back under, uh, go back to Powell, um, you know, he finished eighth. He didn't have a great season. Um, maybe the table position lies a little bit because of, of some of the ways that, that certain teams were playing that season. But uh, the football was just not not exciting. And you move on from there to Pellegrino and to Hughes, and it, it, it wasn't exciting. I was at Hughes's first game. The first game I ever attended live uh, in the Premier League was Mark Hughes's first game where we lost 3 nothing at West Ham, and it was an absolute mess. Um, and... You know, it didn't get much better from from there. He managed to keep us up, and I think I'm oh, always optimistic no, whenever somebody oh, else comes in. Oh, gets me so mad. What's that? <laughs> that gets me. He didn't keep you up, bro. Mark Hughes did not keep Southampton up. Swansea kept Southampton up from yes. being rubbish. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> he was in charge when we stayed up. How's that? There you go. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and and that you know it it's frustrating to watch because I I tend to be try to be positive uh, about about it and and believe that the manager can do it, and then. When when Hasanu comes in, you start looking at his track record and, and looking at just the different style of football that he plays. And and you've talked at length and written at length about the four two 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 and 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 tactical changes and shifts and everything else. And um, at the end of the day, I could just say that I I want to if the team gets gets torn apart by Liverpool or Manchester City and somebody passes through the press and and scores some wonderful goal um, because we were pressing and pushing and trying to score, like I'm okay with that. The, the frustrating thing is is to watch us sit back and pass the ball and have 65% possession, uh, not break a team down and lose one nothing. Like that, I don't want to see that necessarily. I'd rather see us take chances. But I mean, looking at the at the team going forward, you know, are the players there to to play this type of, of high pressing system? Or my I think my biggest concern right now is the fact that we've played the same three midfielders almost every match. Um, and and can they do this for, you know, two cup competitions and a premier league season without eventually just kind of running themselves into the ground and, and, you know, us being in some sort of danger of, of having to change formation or, or shoehorn guys in or, or play guys out of position, which we also <laughs> don't seem that uncomfortable with. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the hassle is, 
going into the season, I, I called Hassel the best manager in the bottom half of the table. Um, I said that depends on whether or not you call Southampton as a bottom half side. Uh, I think he, he's, I mean, he's managed in the Champions League and he took up the Red Bull Leipzig to, to second in the league during his time there. Um, and I, I absolutely believe he is. One good thing about working Southampton is even when Southampton have a bad game, I understand what is going on. There is a very clear tactical plan to Southampton that is not seen in many clubs, including those in the top six. Southampton play with a clearer vision than Manchester United do. So that's depressing to say as a Manchester United fan. Um, I absolutely believe Ralph Hassel is a better man than Oligar Solskjaer. Next. That sort of thing. And like he's more experienced than Frank Lampard as well. So that's the sort of thing there. The, the, the squad is a lot weaker than I thought it was. So when I moved to Southampton, I had no internet for three weeks. Um, so one thing I did was I read loads of books. I watched loads of old footage um, and I played FIFA. I played FIFA 19 on highest difficulty. I did career mode with Southampton to try and get a feel of that, that squad and whatnot. And I thought, okay, so there, there are parts of this squad where they absolutely, they're then top half standard. I think that the front four is top half standard. I think the front four of Shea Adams, Danny Ings, Nathan Redmond, when Musa Janepo is fit as well, I think that is a front four that's top 10. Absolutely. Um, the central midfield, Romeo is fantastic at what he does. Uh, he doesn't do many things, but the, the three things he does well, tackle, get turnovers, and then give the ball to someone else who is more talented than him <laughs> going forward. Great. Fantastic. Again, one of those players who, again, I think he'd improve Manchester United right now. He's absolutely the sort of player that Paul Pogba would enjoy playing next to because Romeo would just go, all right, Pogba, you do the nice Pogba things and I'll do the nasty stuff that you don't want to do. So I think Romeo is good at that. I think the problem with Southampton's midfield is there's much of a muchness. I think Schoeberg, while he can be uh, a good passer and he has got a decent passing range and, and does try and get forward, I think he's not quite the box-to-box the, the -box attacking midfielder Southampton need. And I think James Ward-Prowse James Ward -Prowse has spent the majority of this season playing wide, which I absolutely don't like. I don't think he's uh, quick enough to play on right wing. And I think he's very much... He's got the lung capacity to play anywhere, really, but I don't think he's quite quick enough to, to make that right-wing position his own. Uh, and I think in the middle of the park, he has to be particularly ball-dominant to, to make things happen, um, which, unfortunately, they prefer to press up high rather than dominate possession. So the midfield is okay. I'm not going to say it's bad. I'm not going to say it's great. I'll say it's okay. And the defense is, <laughs> the defense is bad. Um, it, it's a lot worse than I thought it w was. You can squint and see a very good back four. So I, in my head, I want to see Angus Gunn in goal. I want to see Ryan Burchard at left back. I want to see Jan Valley at right back. I want to see Benerick and Danzo as the centre-backs. I think that's the best back five unit that some of them have. We've not seen it yet because we've seen loads of chops and changes. We've seen Yoshida come in for, game, for games against top six because Hassel will want to use more experience in there. Um, we've seen Vestergaard play many games, which I... Yes is what I have to say about Vestergaard um, uh, and so forth. So there is a good squad in there. There is a good squad in there that if they get enough game time together and everyone's fit, I think Southampton can finish anywhere between 9th and 14th. Um, it's just a case of getting those people on the pitch at the same time and getting them firing, which needs to happen. And unfortunately, it hasn't happened because 
yeah, well, one, the fixture this is an absolutely brutal, uh, and two, there's been some injuries. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess looking at looking at that, I mean, what what's preventing uh, Hassan Hudel from from trying that back four? Aside from, I mean, Valerie's kind of been kind of out of out of sight for for this season, even though he did uh, quite well last year. And and my my one thing that I would say about him was he looked much better playing in a back five than he did in uh, a back four. But um, another, you know, he's had another kind of half of a, a year to grow and, and and train, and hopefully he'll, you know, develop. And he's going to make mistakes because he is young. Um, but I mean, that that would be a, an extremely young kind of back line. Do you think that's enough kind of leadership and, and international experience? I guess to 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 go with a back four like that or, or a back five, if you include Gun um, in, in the Premier League, when when we have been kind of so mistake prone. <laughs> The, the idea of experience in defense is one of those things that now I'm pulling a face as I'm saying this. You can, you can just about make up with the experience in terms of physical age. If you have a, if you have a young unit that plays with each other all the time. Okay. So it's very, very clear. It's very clear that Hassel likes Benerick. Benerick started every single Premier League game for him. And he's very, he looks to be the, the, the center back that understands Hassel's system more than so than anyone else. I think Yashida is a good center back. Um, he does every so often have a mistake in him, and sometimes he's not the fastest man. Uh, but he is a very good third option. I think if you want to do a back four, you pick your two best center backs, and you basically go, you two are the two best center backs, and you're going to be playing all season. So learn everything about each other. Yeah. Learn each other's weaknesses, learn each other's strengths, learn how to complement each other. And then from there, you can make up for having a 28-year-old center back because you have got two people that know each other really, really well. Sure. That's me from the spreadsheet playing football manager doesn't spend too much time talking to millionaires football methodology. Uh, I could be completely wrong, but sometimes it, sometimes it does, is helpful just to have a 35-year-old to tell a young man, you stand there. Um, but obviously, there is more than one way to play a game of football. Sure. Um, uh, I, think, I think no one's going to come in very soon. I think this, I've had quite a few some fans talk about how the team looks more solid with three at the back. Hassel will play three at the back, not because he likes it, but because he's trying to make up for deficiencies in quality with quantity. Sure. Which it's 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 pragmatism, right? When you when you want to play a good three, uh, three at the back, the idea is one of the players can can take the ball out of defence and move into midfield and start counterattacks um, from deep. Or you have one player as a contingency, or the pragmatic version is you have one player who basically is, is the sweeper and just like cleaned up mistakes. For both versions, you, if you want a sweeper, you'd prefer to have either a really experienced person who's, been, who's played sweeper before or someone who's quite mobile and can run up and down and snuff out those things with tackles. I don't think Southampton quite have that. I think Yoshida's quite a good, experienced sweeper. But again, Southampton can be quite vulnerable to balls over the top. I don't trust Yoshida in a foot race when he's running towards his own goal. And I think in terms of having a centre that is comfortable taking the ball into midfield, I don't know if someone has that player in defence. I think Kevin Dancer's good with the ball at his feet. I think Benerick has been good in, in limited spells. But again, they've not quite got the personnel for three at the back. They've got, the, they've got good uh, wing backs and, and full backs for, for, for playing five at the back or, or in, with that wing back system. But it's no easy fix. My, my thing right now is Phantom's problem is they create a lot of chances, but they don't score that often. And they're going to give up at least one goal every single game to which you can do two methods. You can either sit deeper 
and then try and play five at the back, which might invite more pressure. So you go from conceding one every game to maybe conceding 1.5 or two every single game. Or you can basically flood the forward positions and go, screw it, let's try and win every game 3-2. I think Southampton fans, after the um, the bad football, Pellegrino, um, the pragmatic football of Caldwell, and the, I have no idea if you can call that football of Mark Hughes, would, would like it if Southampton played, you know, powerful leather, Let's try and score multiple goals a game. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm torn because <laughs> I am, have always been a, a defense first kind of a, a person, but coming from a very much American sports background and, and being a catcher, uh, very much in tune with, you know, keep getting guys out, keeping guys off base, uh, keeping yourself out of trouble in terms of baseball. And, and when I, I see teams line up with, uh, yeah, I, I used to play with a five-four-one formation on FIFA, and just try not to not to lose. Um, and that's even that gets boring as a player. Never mind as a fan. Um, so I, I'm much more, uh, it, you know, like I said before, it, I'm super excited to see us kind of go forward and press. And if we lose because somebody carves us open because we've opened ourselves up a little bit, like you know, so be it. Um, but at the same time, you kind of got to stay in the league too, so you got to you have to address it at yes. some point. Um, I mean, looking ahead a little bit for the team. Uh, you know, r- running up to, until Christmas. I mean, even over the next, the course of the next few matches before the next international break, it, things don't get easy. You know, uh, Manchester City twice, granted one of them is in a, in a cup competition, but, but uh, coming against a Wolves team and, and a Leicester City team, I mean, I'm not, I'm not super optimistic about the next kind of run of fixtures, especially because you're going to see Everton at the end of that. And that's, you know, currently a team that's, you're, you're battling, you're, you know, they're just, they're keeping you out of the relegation zone, essentially. Um, do you, I mean, what, what does Southampton look like maybe by the time Christmas rolls around? What do you, what do you envision us kind of, where, where do you even see us being in the table? And, and if we're going to avoid kind of, I don't know, another relegation battle, uh, do you think we have to go with the back four? And, and has there been any hint from Hassan Hoodle or anybody else around the club that you've heard? And don't, don't, I'm not asking you to give away sources or anything like that, but like, you know, to, is there anything to suggest that we will make that move and, and kind of switch formations? Or do you think we're going to see this constant kind of changing of, of personnel and formation in both in game and from game to game. Uh, I think I sort of, I think especially the Bournemouth defeat sure, sort of was a was a turning point for Hassel where he realized he's uh he'd been chopping and changing a little bit too much and he wants something more solid. Um, so after the defeat against Bournemouth, you saw Hassel was a bit more reluctant to make substitute changes and make changes in shape against Tom Hotspur. He admitted he might have got that wrong. He said I didn't want to make a change after Hotspur, Tottenham went down to ten men. Because I wanted to wait and see something, which was a, was an interesting response. Uh, and then uh, he tried a four-three-three against Chelsea, to which he said he might have made a mistake trying to play a bit too ambitious with a four-three-three against Chelsea. There, I think at the start of the season we knew this would be a really really bad fixture. This was Southampton. So Southampton were the first twelve games of the season featured them playing against ten of the teams like that. The first twelve games. Sorry, let me say that again. So first 12 games of the season featured them playing against every single member of the top half last season. That's brutal. Yeah. And, and Hassel always said he's not going to pay too much attention to the Premier League table until Southampton has played everyone at least once, which I don't like looking at the table until now, the second international break. Um, and I said nothing really counts until the 10th game of the season. And I think Southampton are playing just a bit further along than that. We know for a fact now, no one really knows how to defend in the league right now. If you play fantasy football, it's a bit helpful, scalper. There's no point buying defenders. 
Um, so it's a league-wide problem with defence. VAR has had a really interesting impact on Southampton and everyone in the Premier League. So I've written that piece about how Southampton have been quite fortunate mm-hmm. with VAR decisions as well. Um, so that, that it's, there's a lot to get round. I think what we're going to see between now and the end of November is Ralph will probably try and play a bit more pragmatic. He's going to probably make a lot less changes with his personnel. And I think a lot is going to be asked of Musa Geneva when he comes back to fitness. Um, if you gave me a shiny penny to make a bet, I would imagine we're going to get uh, a flat back four um, in the the lesser big game. So I think against Wolves, you might see a back four. Uh, and But against Manchester City, especially for that double header, I think you're going to see a back five because even if Southampton are favourites, it's never nice to get absolutely decimated in a game of football. So I think Hassel's approach to the Manchester City two games is basically can he play those games play good football and not have an embarrassing scoreline which could damage morale a bit more so I think the five will will be the most dominant formation we'll see until the end of November okay all right all right um we got a couple of questions and you got a couple minutes I know I'm I don't want to keep it too yeah 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 keep going keep going all right um all right so uh one of the things that patrons of the show get is the opportunity to have their questions kind of pushed to the front uh, each and every week. And we try to get to all the questions. And this week, I think we can we can do that. But um, Giorgio Spicagna, one of the patrons of the show, uh, says, hey, uh, Tekken or Mortal Kombat? Uh, and also, which GTA rules all? <laughs> uh, Tekken or Mortal Kombat? That's really interesting because I grew up in a Street Fighter house. Okay. Um, so uh, my novel is about Street Fighter. Uh, it's about Street Fighter 2. Uh, I, I grew up. I grew up in the arcade scene of the early nineties. Um, so I grew up in a big Street Fighter house. My younger brother does computer game, study computer games for a living. So he did uh, video game art and design for university, and he's got a very particular interest in in fighting games. Uh, so he argues that every single good fighting game is like rock paper scissors. So we play primarily Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat in our households. Although we do like a bit of Tekken. Okay. But yeah, that's. But if you want me to rank all three, Street Fighter number one. Um, Mortal Kombat number two, Tekken number three, Dead or Alive number four, uh, and then we used to play a lot of the Marvel versus Capcom games as well. Ooh, okay. Uh, as for the best golden, uh, the best Grand Theft Auto game, my brother always maintains Vice City is the greatest game ever. Um, my favorite has been San Andreas. Uh, I got quite far in GTA Five, and then someone stole my Xbox in 2013. Oh no! So now I bought PS4 copy of GTA Five, and I will get I'll get round to completing that game one day, but. Um, I'm, I'm kind of busy doing a job now. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where I can't play as much, I can't play as much games as I want to because I'm supposed to be writing all the time. I'm currently playing The Last of Us. That's on PS Plus. So I'm playing that for the first time. That's a lot of fun. Uh, for me, I think GTA Three hit just at a very pivotal moment in my life. Um, I think it was the PlayStation Three what came out, uh, or maybe it was PlayStation Two. I can't remember. I was sixteen. Two was GTA Three. Yeah. yeah so I remember I got uh, PlayStation 2, GTA 3, a surround sound system, uh, all about the same time, and then also uh, then discovered marijuana. And it was like uh, from there, it was <laughs> I, I had a, I spent a lot of time uh, just completely uh, immersed in in that. So um, I'm sorry to everybody who was my friend before then. I don't think I didn't even talk to you anymore. Um, but it's it's been a long time since I've really immersed myself in a video game like that. Uh, but yeah, I remember that fondly and I had to, I just actually had to get rid of it because my son was like, what's this? I was like, something we're not going to play, son. Like, we're just going to move that along. <laughs> uh, but 
Giorgio also asks, um, do you think the 4-2-2-2 should be scrapped? Uh, the team seems really unbalanced in the formation, and also it doesn't seem to work in the league uh, when the league doesn't mind just pumping balls over the top uh, and and kind of making our, our passing channel kind of coverage kind of obsolete. So uh, we talked about it a little bit, but I mean, do you think that it's time to, to move on or do you think that uh, that formation still has some some life left in it uh, with this team and in this league? While I spend a lot of time looking at tactics and shape, I don't. I recommend no one should think of any tactic or shape being the be-all and end-all for everything. You think of them all like rock, paper, scissors. Every tactic has their pluses and minuses, and some tactics can be defeated by other ones more effectively than others. I think the 4-2-2-2 that Ralph Hustle played at Red Bull Leipzig, we are sitting as a someone who's watching all the Southampton games. I really, really want to see Naby Keita play for Liverpool because I'm beginning to wonder if the 4-2-2-2 works a lot because Naby Keita was basically superhuman from that position double pivot. I think that formation is is what Ralph wants to play. And I think it's not a case of what I think about it. I think it's a case of this is what he's going to do. This is everything he's planning to do for this team. The team is striving to get to this goal. And I can complain and kick and scream, but it's going to happen. The problem with the 4-2-2-2 in this current state is something yet to play their strongest back line. So I don't think it's a good idea to do that if one of your defenders is going to be Vestergaard because Vestergaard is not the most comfortable defender with the ball at his feet and he can sometimes be defeated in aerial duels which is difficult so um, I wouldn't recommend playing a back four with Vestergaard as on your centre-back uh, and uh, the other problem is as I described is a little bit too much of a muchness in central midfield so Hjulberg, Romeo and Ward-Prowse all have very similar skills where you're, when you're playing a double pivot in a six there it's very important one of those pivots um, is someone who likes to get ahead of the ball and play one-twos and then join the other men going forward, mm-hmm. um, which Southampton haven't got yet. So another another central midfield option would be really, really valuable there. Also, like I said before, the front four, Shea Adams, Danny Ings, Nathan Redmond, Musa Janepo, that's supposed to be the front four in the 4-2-2-2. We haven't seen that yet. The 4-2-2-2 will be very good once we get... Gunn, Bertrand, Benerick, Danzo, Valerie, Romeo, Herberg, Redmond, Janepo, Adams and Inks. I think that as a first 11 is top half quality. And I think that with the 4-2-2-2 looks like a good side playing the 4-2-2-2. So I want to see that before I say this, uh, this formation is done for. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair enough. And, and you're right, we haven't seen that that formation yet, or that 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 formation with that group of players yet through injury or whatever it was. Um, so we'll have to kind of wait and see. And hopefully, that means the international break is coming at, at a decent time, and um, we can get guys kind of back healthy. But we'll have to kind of wait and and see as the news comes out. Um, so, uh, the Southampton page, which is the partner page of the show, asks. Uh, when will Ross Wilson's departure be confirmed? And I don't know if you have any information on that or if you can speak to that or if we have to wait. Um, but I mean, have you heard anything about that? I mean, the, the stories of him leaving have been kind of circulating now. And, and uh, I think some people are happy about it. Some people are worried about it. Uh, I'm kind of not sure how to feel about it. So, I mean, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? This will be my piece of, I'm going to start writing this on Monday. Um, so this will, I'll, I'll have a piece on this in the athletic sometime before the end of next week. Okay. The what I can say is there's enough smoke to this story for me to assume there's a fire, and I think Ross Wilson's departure is a case of when is it announced rather than if it's ever going to be announced. Okay. 
Um, you are right. He, 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 he has a, had a very interesting tenure at Southampton. He has brought in players such as Virgil van Dijk uh, and I want to say Sergio Mane to Southampton, but he's also brought in players that he knows he should not have or he, he has uh, admitted he's made some mistakes. Mm-hmm. So in a very recent fan forum, Ross Wilson said Southampton, someone asked him why Southampton don't spend more than 15 million on the player because of the TV money. They've, they've got money and they said, why don't they spend big money on players? To which Ross Wilson said, this is how, you know, explained how transfers work at Southampton and said, you, you also have to bear in mind the majority of our signings that we've made above 15 million haven't really worked well. Yeah. Um, and he said, there's, he said, there's one particular case where we oversupported the manager because he, the manager really wanted a player he had a previous history with and we oversupported him to too much money. And, and now that's, that's not done well. To which, you know, the player in question was quite clearly Carrillo yeah. and the manager of Pellegrino. So uh, he's had some hits. He's had some misses. He, he, his hits probably just that way his misses. Um, with the current revamping of the academy system and what he's worked, done with Ralph Hassel over the summer has been really, really interesting. So the academy is now trying to move not just to get in talented players from six, age six up, but also to get players from outside the traditional catchment area from the age 16 up. So uh, Jan Valery is, is sort of the latest academy success of Ross Wilson's recent um, time. So sort of looking out to France rather than traditional catchment areas to get a, a player who was in their late teenage years to come to Southampton and then immediately join the first team. Um, I think he's done good work. I think he will continue to do good work. And I think Wilson's departure probably says a lot more about what Southampton is going to look to do under the ownership of the Gao family than it does about Ross Wilson. Okay. All right. Just, just one more. Um, <laughs> Justin Woodward says, uh, what have you enjoyed most about reporting on Southampton and the premier league? And uh, Justin is another one of the patrons of the show and I think it'd be a, a good one to end on. And, and yeah, so uh, what, what's, what's been the most enjoyable thing about, about whether it's moving to Southampton or something in Southampton or just covering the team. What's, what have you enjoyed the most? Uh, watching football in the stadium all the time. It's one of those things that it shouldn't be so surprising, but it really does completely change your appreciation of football. And it reminds you football is not a film or a TV show, but it's first and foremost a day out. It's, it's, a, it's a sense of community and whatnot. Um, so obviously I'm, I'm doing all the home and away games as well. So I'm also traveling up and down the country. So one thing I'm appreciating is basically traveling to places outside of London going, oh my God, look at the north. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, it's been quite good. Uh, my appreciation of VAR has, has changed quite a lot in the last couple of weeks. So I was very, I'm, I'm quite a futurist and I believe VAR isn't the problem. I believe the broken rule book of football is the problem of VAR. Um, and my appreciation of VAR has changed because in the stadium, it is absolutely baffling. But I, I'm rooted up to all sorts of computers and whatnot, and I can still only just about understand what's going on with VAR. Yeah. So I can only imagine, I, I now understand why some people don't like VAR, because in a football stadium, it makes no sense. Um, yeah. Apart from offsides, I think VAR for offsides is a good thing. But via, you know, the handball rule in combination with VAR is baffling. And there are two or three other things in VAR that are just, what? Um, so that's been good. My football education and my geography education uh, and just my education in terms of, of what, how people live on a weekend has changed rapidly. Southampton on a weekend where they win at home 
is completely well i say when they win at home i've not seen Southampton win at home yet <laughs> but um that's quite sad i'm i'm assuming the city itself when Southampton finally win at home will be completely different on a saturday night than when when they lose because the city does feel a bit sad when when they do lose and it's that sort of stuff that we really get an appreciation for yeah yeah well i mean that's, that all sounds good man and and i just want to say thank you for for doing this um obviously it's taken up a, a good bit of your time and and, and i I can't thank you enough. I, I owe you a, a drink, whether it's coffee or, or otherwise. Uh, next time I'm, I'm over, and hopefully that's not too long, but uh, we'll, we'll see how it all goes. How uh, round? I wear green on match day, so you should be able to find me at any point in time. Yeah. And I'll, I'll get you a beer for sure. <laughs> oh, I, it's got to go the other way, I think, but I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, but yeah, man, thank you so much. And uh, I, I hope maybe you'd be open to doing this again, but uh, just, just thank you for doing this, and I hope the listeners have enjoyed it. Great. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, if you want to do one, let me know. that does it for this week's episode of the southampton delivery podcast thank you so much for joining us i hope you've enjoyed it special thanks this week goes out to carl anchor you can find him on twitter at anchorman 616 it's a-n-k-a-m-a-n 616 if you want more of carl sign up for the athletic uk there's a free trial link in the show notes uh, make sure you head over there, see what it's all about. If you want to sign up, you can. If you don't, uh, you don't have to. Uh, but that's where Carl does his writing. You can also catch him on the Totally Football Show from time to time. Uh, we mentioned that he did the Parts Unknown wrestling podcast. There's a link to that as well. Um, producer Ben, Ben Green, uh, one of my all-time favorite people, one of the people that I have to thank uh, for helping me get started. His books and his podcast uh, very much uh, influential and instrumental in getting this thing going. So uh, special thanks to everybody there. Uh, Carl was also on the Saints FC podcast this week, so look for that. Uh, that'll be out. If it's not out already, it should be out soon. You get more from him there. The show would not be possible without some help from our partners, including the Southampton page, where you should go for all your Southampton FC news and needs. You can follow along on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook to stay up to date with everything going on at the club. The logo for the show is designed by Matt Beeling. You can find him on Instagram at the We Are Southampton page. And all music for the show comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games. And the end of show credits that you're listening to right now is Aim is True by Poddington Bear. If you're new to the show and haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the show to make sure you don't miss future episodes. There are plenty of links on the show website at southamptondelivery.com. If you've been around a while and you've been enjoying the show, please consider writing a review. It helps new people find the show. It helps it show up for people. And it's something that I truly appreciate. Uh, and another thing I truly appreciate is the patrons of the show. So shout out to all of you guys. Thanks for making the show great. Thanks for making it possible. I really do appreciate it. Uh, once again, thank you to all the listeners out there. Thank you to Carl Anchor. Once again, you can find him on Twitter at Anchorman616. And we will be back next week, uh, hopefully talking with Freddie after a win away at Wolves. But we'll see how it all goes. Um, but until then, thanks for listening. And remember that together we march on. <laughs>